Welcome to Down There Aware, a podcast bringing attention to gynecologic cancers in women's healthcare. Disclaimer We cover many topics which some may find uncomfortable, and while we feel it is an important conversation to have, we understand it may not be for everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. And today we're going to talk a little bit about my one-year oncology follow-up appointment to endometrial cancer. So last week um, on the 16th was my anniversary of my cancer diagnosis. And on the 14th, I had my one-year annual appointment. Um, I've been seeing an oncologist every, roughly every three to four months. Um, Due to COVID, my appointment right before this one was via telehealth. So that was a little bit different. But this one, I did get to go into the office. Mom didn't get to go with me. Um, They were limiting um, any visitors to people who needed assistance um, to move and walk and things like that. So I didn't need that. Um, So I went by myself Um, and it was interesting because of COVID, you know, everyone's required to wear a mask. And when I walked in, um, there were big signs everywhere. Do not enter um, unless you're a patient and have an appointment. So I walk in and immediately there was a nurse there asking if I had an appointment. Um, And then she checked my forehead for temperature, asked me a series of questions, including had I traveled, um, if I had had any specific symptoms, if I had been exposed to anyone with COVID, um, and if I had been tested. And I said no to all of those things and proceeded into the appointment. Um, and it the most interesting part in the beginning, um, you know, I checked in, they gave me all this paperwork, and they paused and they said, due to a new law in the state of Florida, because um, starting July 1st, we have to have written permission to do a pelvic exam. And on the written permission form, um, or consent form, it had very specifically what the um, purpose, what the exam entailed what parts of the anatomy were going to be inspected or could be inspected during that time. It, it was very, very specific. And so I'm going to do a little more digging and research to see why Mm -hmm. um, that law came to be and why that, um, you know, why they need such strict parameters all of a sudden. Yeah. And it is all of a sudden, and it makes you wonder, does it remotely have anything to do with COVID or is it just coincidental that it happened during the midst of the pandemic? It'd be interesting to find out. Mm-hmm, for sure. So I did wait quite a while to see my doctor. Um, I'm sure that they were busy and with all of the extra procedures um, to get in and uh, safety measures for COVID that that probably had something to do with it, but I didn't really care. I just played on my phone and waited. Um, got called back and then they did, you know, the standard, they ask you your height. I always lie a little bit cause I'm between inches. So I always <laughs> round up, um, and then weigh you, of course, um, my doctor weighs in kilograms, which is awesome because it's basically like half of your actual weight. Um, so that's always fun. They took my temperature again, but this time they did it orally. 
So I had to take off my mask, which kind of defeats the purpose of wearing it, but whatever. <laughs> um, and then took me back to the room. Once we were in the examination room, the PA or nurse, I'm not really sure what um, her classification is, she asked if I would be okay seeing someone else in the practice because my doctor um, had a long list of patients and it would probably take a long time. And my initial reaction was, yes, that's fine. I just want to get in and out. It's totally cool. And then almost instantaneously, I had this thought of, but it's not it's not okay. And, and so what did you tell him? Well, and so I went right into it and I said, you know, actually I would like to see my doctor because this is the second oncologist I've had to see because my first oncologist left the practice and I've only met with this oncologist one time in person because of COVID. Um, and she specializes not just in endometrial cancer, but in my type of endometrial cancer, um, I had, they found two cells in my lymph node that they removed. One of the lymph nodes they removed, they classify this as isolated tumor cells. Um, and so that's what my oncologist specializes in. And she, you know, even went through the researcher that she was working with and his specialty and in, in our first meeting. Um, so I stood up for myself and I told the nurse PA person that no I would like to see my doctor I'm happy to wait um, and I was really proud that you stood up for yourself I thought well I didn't get to go but maybe I was in her ear <laughs> when she said no you know that's really not okay well and not just that but I also th like yes I was channeling you in that moment but also I was I think having this podcast and having spoken through a lot of our thoughts and gotten a lot out on the table. It, you know, really empowered me thinking that that's my goal with this podcast is to help empower people to stand up for themselves. And I don't think I would have done that a year ago in that appointment. Yeah. And I think it's important to remind our listeners that, um, we've discussed the importance of continuity of care it, no matter what your ailment is, but in specifically in regard to cancer, the continuity of care is just vital. And your situation is so bizarre in that you saw the oncologist number one, and a week later she did surgery. And I did you go to a post-op? Yeah, you went to a, just a post-op with her, but then, and you scheduled a three-month appointment. But then before the three-month appointment, you, right before, you got a call that she was no longer with the practice. You were going with oncologist number two. And they couldn't get me in right away. Exactly. So my initial three-month appointment was pushed back a few weeks. So um, it was like a four-month appointment. Right. And so that's, you know, that's why I'm not really on a real schedule. I mean, now I am on a schedule, um, but in the beginning I wasn't and it was very disconcerting and you know we don't like to think about what ifs and what had this happened and you know what if this had uh, been different however I do sometimes think if I had had oncologist number two in the beginning would my treatment plan be different would uh, you know 
would I still have a uterus? Would I like how, and you know, and we did talk with her about that in our initial appointment where we met her and she assured us that the course of action I took was the safest and what probably she would have recommended at the time. Right. And, and going back to initially starting with oncologist number two and the continuity of care or lack thereof, um, then enter coronavirus. So when you were supposed to follow up with her, you couldn't because of uh, COVID and you had a telehealth appointment with a PA. So you didn't even get to talk to her then. And you certainly didn't get to have a pelvic exam. So there goes the continuity of care and um, seeing her, at least I'm happy that you were able to see her here. It is July and a year later, and you really have had very few on-site appointments so I'm really anxious to get back into some routine with you so they can, it's kind of like once you have a baseline, then you can see any changes as you observe later. And um, you, you just have to continue to be observed in order to see if there's any change. Right. And that's what she said. So, you know, she performed the pelvic exam, said everything looked good. We talked about, um, any issues I was having, I haven't had any big issues, haven't had any pain or bleeding. Um, so we talked about what happens next. And she said, well, your last CAT scan was in January. And um, all of my CAT scans are the ones where you have to drink, I think it's barium. Um, and so they pump you full of radiation to see if, you know, it latches onto any cancer cells. And the contrast is really... a better scan so you want that it is but to that degree this doctor has said several times you're very young and if we do too many scans you are just being pumped full of radiation and that could have adverse effects so she's kind of teetering on this um, balance balance beam if you will of making sure we scan enough so that we know if anything is growing but not too much so that we're causing more harm and that's really the whole balancing act of this of my treatment plan is you know we don't want to do too much because it could be bad but we also don't want to do too little because we could miss stuff and that would be bad well and I think too our perspective is important because for me the reason why I am adamant about having enough scans is because the initial diagnosis um was made after we were told, oh, she's too young to have cancer. This is not, we're sending it off as routine. This is not going to come back positive, blah, blah, blah. And of course we know that was wrong. And now I don't want to fall into that same trap. Oh, well, she had, you know, a specific type or a specific stage or, you know, the isolated tumor cell does this or that. So we're not really worried about doing more scans. If I have learned anything in having children and dealing with their medical issues, both of my children, I have learned that they are not the norm. And <laughs> you cannot, <We're> weirdos. <laughs> you just cannot say, oh, that typically, typically doesn't happen. So we're not concerned about that because it has happened too many times with both of my children, and I, I just cannot be okay with that, ever. 
and you know, that's part of why you have to advocate for yourself and feel okay sticking up for yourself. So after my pelvic exam, we sat and we talked to, you know, about how everything looked and she went into the, you know, whole balancing act idea. She talked about how the isolated tumor cells do not change the grade of my cancer. My grade was 1A, which is um, the earliest grade it can be caught in, um, and it's the least aggressive. However, if there had been more cells found in the lymph node, it would have been automatically classified as grade 3. And that is where her concern lies because even though we technically aren't changing the grade of my cancer to three, um, it still had some qualities of being grade three. So she's taking a more conservative approach in scanning um, and treating me more like a grade three patient in the beginning. So we agreed that in the next month or so, I would have another CAT scan um, with contrast, drinking the nasty barium stuff, getting it over with. Um, and following up with her in three months, which is October, and I would see her, um, and if those scans were clean, I would just be scanned every year instead of every six months because grade three is every six months, but lower than that is every year. And that made me feel good. It was enough that, um, you know, it's not going to harm me, but it's enough that we're still checking and looking at it. And Um, surely if there's still cancer there, it will have grown in the last six months from my last scan. Um, at least that's the theory. So I feel comfortable with that plan of, um, continued surveillance and looking at what is going on. Um, and I think mom does too. Well, I do. I, I like this doctor number two. I like that she, um, explained more thoroughly or really explained at all, about the fact that uh, when they find tumor, um, tumor cells that have metastasized into the lymph nodes, they change the stage. And um, because they didn't find tons in your lymph node, but they did find some, she's willing to treat it as a grade three to do what I call, what my dad called, hug the mountain, to be sure that we're treating it conservatively. And Oncologist number one never discussed any of that. And we didn't even hear, I I don't believe, isolated tumor cell from her. Um, So She just kept calling it micromets. Micromets, yes. I must have written that down six times. And we weren't really sure what that meant until I did get a second opinion. I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but... We did go to the Moffitt Cancer Center in Tampa um, to have a second opinion, and that doctor was really great. I really liked her. Um, she said she was the first to identify the micromets as isolated tumor cells, and she was also the first um, to let us know what that meant. Um, and it was really interesting because they f- found two cells two and I just think about how small a cell is and I don't know what the actual scientific what it looks like to chop it up and or how they identify that I don't know all of that I'm not a pathologist but it seems pretty remarkable that they even identified 
two cancer cells out of however many cells were in that lymph node. But in order to call it metastasis and in order to change the grade to grade three, I believe it had to be over 500 cells. So that's the difference we're talking about that um, mine is concerning because it was not just isolated to the uterus, but it's not super concerning because A, they took it out and it's not there anymore. And B, it was so small. Well, and I think, um, you know, looking back at the big picture, which you can do, hindsight is twenty twenty. The um, had you not made the decision to have the hysterectomy, it, from my perspective, in all likelihood, more cells would have metastasized. The process had begun, and had you put it off, then it would have continued, and um, you could very well have ended up stage three. Um, so I, grade I'm, three. I'm sorry, grade <laughs> three. So I'm thrilled that they have the medical technology to identify two cells, micromets, two, um, when they don't change the grade until they have found 500. But I, I think that's vital in cancer research and treatment and um, getting good results that we have to be able to be that um, specific and particular in those types of um, findings and treatments because cancer is a monster and one cell is one too many. And I think it's also a little disconcerting when you have to wait for time and you have to wait for appointments and you have to um, go through the motions of whether it's insurance related or just the practice related, um, how they handle things. So my follow-up has already been scheduled. It's in October. Your follow-up with the... My follow-up with the oncologist. Um, Sometime in... So the way it works with my practice is that um, if you need a scan or blood work or anything like that, they order it directly from whoever's providing that service. And that secondary partner calls you to schedule. That's how my um, previous CT was scheduled. And that's how this one's going to be scheduled. So we're coming up on, it's been just under a week of going and I haven't heard from them. But of course, I give people a little more grace and patience in that regard. Um, but mom, almost daily is, have they called to schedule your scan? Have they called to schedule your scan? And I really appreciate it because I would probably forget about it. Um, but I'm also more, I don't know, laid back and trusting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that it's a matter of patience or grace. Uh, for me, it's a matter of accountability and advocacy. And so I'm not going to sit back and wait for somebody else to do a job that affects me directly. And certainly in this case affects Alex. And I have found too often, and again, you know, this might get <laughs> tiresome for some people, but I'm 66 years old. I've had a whole lot of life. <laughs> and so through those life experiences, I have found oftentimes when I follow up with an, uh, an appointment with someone who was supposed to call me and they didn't, so I call them, um, I have gotten answers like, um, oh, 
no, I don't think we have that. Just a minute. And they go check and they come back and say, no, we didn't receive anything like that. And so then I will call the doctor and tell them they didn't receive it. And then the doctor will say, oh, yes, they did. They're just making up for taking a week. You know, it, it's this us against them game. Other times it's been somebody's found it on somebody else's desk or in their in or out bin. Um, you know, when they have thousands, tens of thousands of patients, one patient doesn't really stand out. And so you have to make yourself stand out. You don't have to be rude and ugly, but you have to be persistent. And so my rule of thumb is you give them a week. And if after a week they have not contacted you, you very graciously call them and say, my doctor said she referred me for, or she was going to refer me for a CT and you would give me a call. I want to be sure I haven't missed a call from you. Could you check on the schedule? And um, I think that's a very important thing to do. People don't always follow through. And I think maybe one episode we should have on um, my new theory about uh, lack of attention to detail that is prevalent in this world today. Because Not I just think in medicine, everything. And it affects this as well. There just isn't a, an attention to detail um, as a whole in the professional world. So it comes back to this. Somebody, if they don't call you in a week, um, it's unacceptable. You need to call and find out why. So later this week... Tuesday would be a week. Was my appointment on Tuesday? Yes. <laughs> Do you see why she needs her mama? <laughs> I have it in my phone somewhere. But um, yeah, so I have a couple more days to give them. Um, and and then we'll call and see what's up. But And of course, we'll share all of the follow-up from that. Um, my last CT was totally clear. Didn't have any, any cancer anywhere um, that they could see. One doctor told us one time that the tumor that was embedded in my uterus um, during pathology was so small, it likely would not have even shown up on a scan, which really just blows my mind. How can it not be on the CT, but then be found later in pathology? So I don't know. They, I didn't have a CT before my surgery, so that's really all speculation anyway. And that, that it, was another bone of contention with me. I felt like she needed a baseline from the get-go. From the minute they said the word cancer, she needed a baseline set of scans. And once again, <laughs> you know, I was told that wasn't going to happen. Well, and, you know, we talk about this a lot, but another reason why we wanted to start this podcast was because to impart the knowledge that we wish we had known, to um, impart the empowerment that we wish we had had to say no I don't want to schedule the surgery in one week I want scans I want a second opinion I want you know this set of things it's slow growing we can wait a month you know to go through this whole process of um, checks and balances but again you hear the word cancer and everything just kind of melts away and you do what you're told because you think you, that's what you have to do. Well, and that time wouldn't necessarily have resulted in a change in decision making. The time would have afforded us the knowledge and information 
to process every tiny little thing so that once the decision was made, there was absolutely no doubt. There were no more questions for Alex, but also when people come to her to ask questions, for her to be able to give information that is um, deeper. Um, her file folder is more full. She's got all the information she needs, and um, that really wasn't afforded us. It's all you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And certainly at the age of 32, I never thought I would need to know anything about endometrial cancer at all. <laughs> so I wasn't reading books about it or, you know, looking into it at all. Um, well, and as we have said, cancer was not on our radar. We we have a lot of medical issues in our family um, and Alex on both sides of her family, but um, not cancer, uh, remarkably, because cancer is so prevalent in our society now. But um, we, it just wasn't on our radar, so we didn't have the experience that affords us knowledge to um, have and to pass along and to use in decision-making. We were at square one. But I also think had we been down there aware as a family unit and realized that Nana having a hysterectomy early on because her periods were so bad and mom starting her period so early and also having a hysterectomy because her periods were so bad and my aunt having ovarian cancer later on in life, like all of these things would have been red flags, whereas they really weren't a heavy period is never talked about as um, a sign or symptom of cancer unless you're explicitly looking for um, risk factors for endometrial cancer or for cervical cancer. And what we've learned is even bringing that to the forefront in your uh, appointment with your OB-GYN and saying that you have these heavy periods um, that isn't even a red flag to because the it's often dismissed, dismissed, especially because of your age, but um, it's, and because of your weight, and because of your weight, it's you're blamed because you're overweight, and it's kind of just written off as well. You know, you got the unlucky card. You're stuck with all the clots and the heavy bleeding, and um, I know for me, when it was time to make a decision about a hysterectomy. I really was fortunate in that a dear friend of mine was married to an OB-GYN and he was gracious enough to talk to me about it. He was not my doctor, but one of his partners was my doctor. And um, he advised me because of the heavy periods and I was finished having children. And he just said, you know, if I were you, I'd go for it. You don't have a reason not to. Um, But even for me... Cancer was never, well, no, I will say, I will say this. When um, I had a pap smear that came back with, I think abnormal cells is what it was labeled. It, it wasn't precancerous or anything like that. He did say, you know, you can add that to the mix and you are finished having children. You have terrible periods. Those, all of those things put together really point to a hysterectomy. So that was a little bit about my one-year follow-up appointment um, in my cancer surveillance program that we're continuing on. Um, And hopefully on track. Yeah, hopefully on track. Hopefully no more 
um, hiccups in the road, no more global pandemics, yes. <laughs> um, and no more doctor changes, no more, no <laughs> I'm more sick of changing doctors. <laughs> um, so hopefully, you know, I'll get a scan in a couple weeks and, um, then follow up in October. So, um, but overall it was a really great visit. Um, I felt heard. I felt like this doctor really took the time, even though my appointment was very short, you know, um, even mom texted, you know, I texted her and said I was leaving and, um, and she said, Oh, that was quick. Um, after I had already texted her that I was going back to the, uh, room and, and I said, yeah, it was quick, but I, it never felt rushed. It, mm-hmm. I, uh, was able to ask all of the questions I wanted to ask. She paused and made sure I was comfortable. And, um, so everything, you know, went pretty well. Um, so we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing, tracking everything. Um, and hopefully things will continue to be positive. Um, so thanks for listening to this episode of Down There Aware. We hope it has helped inform you a little bit more about all of the risk factors that we should all be taking into consideration as we go along our days as, as women. Um, you can follow us on our social media accounts. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Pinterest, all Down There Aware. Our website, downthereaware.com. And if you have any topics you'd like for us to discuss or questions you may have, feel free to email us down there aware at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah.